Hey everyone, welcome to the Unconventional Podcast, where we are going to get right under the skin of the modern day workplace, and more importantly, how the ever-evolving neurodiverse world fits into it. Cue the dramatic music. On this very warm Tuesday evening here in sunny Kent, I welcome my latest guest to the Unconventional Podcast, Mr. Matthew Head. Now, I'm going to find out in a second if Matthew prefers Matt or Matthew, um, but for the time being, I'll be, uh, I'll be professional and call him Matthew. Now, the reason I wanted Matthew on is because he is the founder of Dyslexia Life Hacks and the host of the Dyslexia Life Hacks show. Now, I think, if I'm honest, dyslexia is quite misunderstood. Um, I've spoken to a few people recently that are dyslexic and some of the things they've told me have just been completely, they've just completely blown my mind. So I really, really wanted Matt on, sorry, Matt, Matthew, um, and uh, to talk to us and unravel dyslexia, um, how he's faced it, how he overcomes his challenges with it, uh, and really just talk to us about how dyslexia fits in and, and is managed and embraced in the workplace. So a warm, warm welcome to you, Matthew. Uh, first of all, before you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you, Matt or Matthew? <laughs> Lots of people ask this. I always introduce myself as Matthew. However, everybody sort of tends to move towards Matt over time. Like I don't even have to say, just call me Matt. It'll eventually happen. I think they give up over on the length of Matthew after about, I don't know, three or four goes at it. And then it's just Matt, <laughs> just Matt from then onwards. <laughs> it's a bit like me with my mum. She She's the only person that really still calls me um, Andrew. Um, but I think even, even she has now moved to Andy because literally she's the only person in the world that still does. Um, and I almost think people get lazy with it, don't they? It's like Matthew is just too long a word to say so they just think sod it i'm just going to go with matt yeah yeah i think so and i think like it is odd to meet a matthew that doesn't like being called matt i can only think of one or two i've met that i like that uh, <laughs> to the point we like i work with a team at work obviously that has two mats on it i'm like I'm the second one because I joined right. after, rather than being Matt and Matthew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody just I'm, goes for the full name. <laughs> I'm surprised they haven't given you a nickname yet. Um, in in my last in my last company where I was employed, we ended up with three Bens, and um, one of them was I just nicknamed one of them Colin because um, I just <laughs> I got bored of of saying Ben, and then two other people turned around and and do you know what? It really stuck. Like he was called Colin, even by the directors, he was known as Colin. What happens when a Colin, a real Colin, actually joins? Oh, with all the greatest of respect to Collins, I don't, I don't imagine too many Collins are going to be joining young digital marketing agencies anytime soon. So I, I felt like I was safe with Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, Dave, and Steve. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I haven't gained a nickname. Uh, it seems to be uh, as I've later on in my career, and I'm sure we get through to my sort of two careers in life. But the engineering jobs have never had too much of a 
nicknamey culture as much as the mechanic job quite did. And I don't think you'd be able to broadcast quite a few of the ones we're using that, but definitely the sort of office jobs <laughs> of less nicknames. I think a few of them we do, uh, but yeah, I've not had that. It's just it's just Matt Head and just Matt. So sometimes I'm in a meeting because we're mostly on Zoom, we're working remote, and my boss goes, hey, Matt, and I'll unmute the thing. And then he has to say the surname of the other Matt because he's realised I'm unmuted, not the person yeah. he wants to talk to. <laughs> yeah. So, um, dyslexia life hacks and dyslexia in general, this this was one of the, the, the biggest reasons that when your name was thrown in the ring as a potential uh, guest, I was I was really excited to, to kind of say, yes, please come on and, and talk to us because the, 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 the dyslexia um scale if you like the, the the kind of world of it i i genuinely believe is hugely misunderstood um by me as well and um i hear the term a lot banded around now because of my life with neurodiversity with my son um and that world that we live in but as far to the best of our knowledge he is not dyslexic so it's not something that i've had a huge amount of um personal experience with so unravel it for us matt and and kind of talk to us about dyslexia life hacks which is your brand and just unravel it for us a little bit so that we get a better picture so dyslexia life hacks um started as a bullet point list on my phone funny enough called dyslexia life hacks i think life hacks and i stuck dyslexia on the front because i thought it sounded catchy um and that really started from i was when i was on my grad scheme uh I worked for a company called Siemens. I was working, I was 31 at the time, working with a project manager who was in his early 40s. And the two of us are sat in a meeting room with a Microsoft project on the screen and we both can't spell the same word because he's dyslexic too. And I, without thinking about it, because we both go to school with each other, just asked Siri on my phone how to spell it. And of course, it dutifully yells it out loud to me or the individual spelling. And we type it in and he looks at me and he's like, well, that's clever i didn't even know you could do that so yeah yeah it's just something to do and he's oh cool and then he comes and catches me the next day and apparently his daughter's quite got a few quite a few learning difficulties he's like i showed my daughter your mobile phone hack and she thought it was the best thing ever all i can hear her all evening is asking the phone how to spell things how to do things and all this <laughs> kind of stuff and i was like oh cool i, was like, I wonder what else there is and then particularly as I moved from that role, which was a graduate role, very much in a management kind of role, into the design engineering role, which is what I still do now, you get it's quite a lot of dyslexic people end up in engineering jobs and take STEM subjects and engineering degrees. And silly things like somebody showed me the synonym checker, where, you know, you know, if you put the wrong homophone in and you right click and pull the sim in, uh, yeah, right click, yeah, and pull the synonyms up. Why did I not know about this? Because the cinnamons don't make sense if they're wrong <laughs> and you've put yeah. the wrong homophone in. So I started just tracking these on my phone. And then unfortunately, sort of mid-2020, COVID come and um, I ended up being made redundant for my design job at Triumph Motorcycles. And I had this kind of idea for ages, this life hacks thing, like, what could I do with it? And I was like, I'm going to make it into a website, which it is today. It's so dyslexialifehacks.com. Um, and you go on there and there's like, what is it, like 28 to 30 different hacks. They're just kind of small title cards with quick, easy kind of small hacks. Because what I found was you Google dyslexia life hacks 
and before my site was the first hit. Uh, <laughs> it's like wow. long articles with all the information buried. It's like, well, it needs to be quick because I don't like reading lots of stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's silly things like using Google. Um, the reason I think of the Google hack is because I'm looking at your background and you've got all the hmm. Marvel and DC movie posters. Yeah. So the Hey Google hack kind of come about with, I would forever copy and paste words that I couldn't spell. You never spell checkers get stuff wrong. Hmm. And you've tried everything you can to get it right. So the example I have on the website is the word rises. Now, if I put the word rises into Google, it'll still give me the wrong spelling and might be confused. If I put the words dark and night before it, it finds the movie. Or spell checks, auto corrects the word rises for me. I've got the poster to back it up, which can catch you up if it catch you out if it's American word and a different word in English. Mm. And copy and paste it back in. So there's things like that, assistive tech and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's quite a lot on there. Uh, and then we end up with a podcast series <laughs> called the Dyslexia Life Hack Show, which, again, um, I was having some sort of coaching while I was redundant. Um, and he suggested that actually maybe I do a, like a, a one-off neurodiversity kind of talk with my friend Richard. Uh, and we did this. And I put it out on LinkedIn and parked on youtube and i had friends that i'd had for sort of 20 odd years like i've learned more about your dyslexia in the last hour and a bit listening than i have since i've known you we went to school together like how did i not know this yeah. so it spun into the series the dyslexia life hack show which episode 28 goes live next week and is over a year old and after the first two episodes i pretty much find people in the dyslexia world that have got different views Try and find ones that have got have succeeded in as dyslexics, but aren't necessarily hugely famous people that show that what what's it like to be a dyslexic engineer, an accountant? What's it like to make assistive technology for dyslexic people? Uh, what's it like to coach them? And there's a, a quite a diverse rate. Handwriting experts. I had a librarian on once, which kind of <laughs> spent an hour asking them, how do you do that? Yeah. And that's where we are with it. So that's kind of my, I guess brand and side project on dyslexia <laughs> do you know what Matt that is incredible and I think you know very much like myself you you started out with um dyslexia life hacks as a a sideline as something that was an interest to you because of your own personal experience with it and then thought okay how can I go on and help others navigate this world um and it's obviously become something that's more than just a, a, more than just a side hustle it's obviously it's something that you you love to do and you've obviously got the the podcast guests that come on and, and talk to you and what I find fascinating about it is you're talking to people that as you say they're not famous as such in the traditional sense of the word but they've made huge successes of their lives with dyslexia and it's and it's understanding how they've navigated it and what they've done to achieve what they've achieved and I, I genuinely find that fascinating. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to do with this around autism, because I think I read a stat once that one in three of the world's self-made millionaires are on the ASD spectrum. Um, and I, I can well believe that that stat is true. Um, do, do you find in your working career, have you found that the dyslexia has been embraced? What what challenges have you faced in your working career? So I guess we let's, let's context this a little bit with, or colour it a little bit with how my working career has looked. 
and we could, we go back all the way back to school because I think that colours the first bit of it. But I initially left college at 18, 19 now, completely burnt out at education. I had a BTEC National Diploma in Motor Vehicle Engineering, of all things. For one, I didn't really understand what the University of Engineering would get me. And I was done. I was brain had gone to holiday and just a complete melted thing above my eyebrows. <laughs> I didn't even want to look at textbook ever again. So I got a job as a HGV mechanic, which I did till my mid twenties. So, and then I did, did a engineering degree at that point, but I guess the attitude then was tricky. Um, I don't want to sort of talk for all blue collar workers no. and we're talking blue collar workers in the early 2000s and I imagine mm. things have changed now we're talking 2022 but the place I worked was there's a lot of mickey taking quite a lot of banter goes around quite a lot of banter is not PC or it wasn't at the time <laughs> it certainly mm. wouldn't be now um but I remember look I looked back at it hindsight when I was prepping to talk for something else recently and uh <laughs> ironically the job i picked because it was a hands-on job i could fix things i'd fix things with my dad since i was a kid i loved how things worked was the one job where it my dyslexia was more of a problem or so it seemed not only was i a very uh not confident 20 something um this is really weird because i'm six over six foot so <laughs> you should have walked yeah. out loads of swagger <laughs> but i'd um you know, you fix the lorries, your hands, got all the tools, and then you'd handwrite job cards. <laughs> now, I don't handwrite anything apart from my to-do list now as a professional engineer. Everything's computerized, obviously. But I remember getting uh, an invoice that came out one day. Although the workshop manager is like, Matt, I know you like writing joined up, but none of our invoices can read your handwriting. So can you please print all your writing? Because they can't invoice the work because they have no clue what I've done because they just this scroll. So from, I don't know, early 20s till my mid 30s, I ended up going back to print handwriting and then sort of retaught myself how to write properly a couple of years ago in cursive, which actually is easier for me to write in. And now I've got it kind of down. Yeah, <laughs> It looks nicer. I like nice handwriting, I think, because I'm envious of not having this beautiful handwriting that some people do. So yeah, I had moments like that. I remember one particularly, one particular workshop controller being a bit like we have to i've been on the training course about how we look after apprentices like he's like well you're really good at that you'll really get on with you thanks like the odd compliment <laughs> but they say if they find somebody with dyslexia or something that i've got to look after them it's like it's not my job to look after them we just teach them how to fix the lorries he's like mm. he's like you can't spell all right i just thought you were thick and then used a four-letter mm. word well, that's not because I'm thick. It's because I'm dyslexic. So, mm. you know, <laughs> your training is here to raise awareness. Mm. And he just didn't blink and carried on. But it's that kind of thing. And it's kind of running away from mm. education and all what quote unquote clever people do to mm. the blue collar job where I'd have my hands on, which I was reasonably good at fixing lorries. Um, but yeah, confidence all over the place. But then writing, mm. handwriting, everything mm. just completely showed all of the dyslexia issues didn't smartphones weren't what they are now so you couldn't keep googling stuff we didn't really have laptops at the time just write it all by hand and it was a 
a bit of a headache, really, mm. looking back. Mm. Did you know that the unconventional brand has three arms? The podcast you're listening to right now, Unconventional Apparel, where a percentage of the profits go to the National Autistic Society, and most recently, Think Unconventional, a social media company with busy business owners and CEOs in mind, putting your social media presence on the social media map. I can imagine um, because you know I remember in school, um, and and people in school can be horrible, um, and I and you know I won't alien you know eliminate myself from that. There were there were times when you'd get in with groups of boys, and even even our own friends, we'd we'd find something to pick on them, and then they'd find something to pick on me, and then it would go backwards and forwards. And and the reality is, we were horrible to each other. Um, but I, but I think none of us were in that place where we, or not that I can remember, where dyslexia was a thing. We were just being teenagers and picking on someone's hairstyle or the fact that some of us wore glasses or whatever. It certainly hasn't done me any damage in later life. But how do you feel that the judgment and the and the education around dyslexia has evolved since those early experiences that you've just mentioned or has it evolved well yes so so that was sort of my 20s but yeah i mean i was one of the lucky people to get statemented at six so six would be 1990 born in 84 so that's kind of rare and i'm actually one of the as i say i've podcasts is my podcast up to episode 28 i've actually recorded up to episode 33 or something and i'm one of the rare people to be in their late 30s who got statemented before they were a teenager so i knew what it was for as long as i could remember and i get the extra help at school all the way through my school career into my college career however there's always the want to be normal (laughs) you know i don't know if you ever had the same thing at school we just want to fit in don't you just want to just sort of i always was the kid that wanted to be somewhere in the middle that kind of flew under the radar but you know when you get go disappear for an hour a day (laughs) people ask where you go and then when you go into a different room for your exams people want to know where you've gone and how come you get all this extra time that's not fair um and i remember sort of i think it's a sign of how much I didn't have fun at primary school. I don't have lots of memories of it. Um, I do remember sitting in a separate class with a teacher assistant, which was my saviour for in terms of keeping me caught up with everything. Um, but really, I don't. Primary is not something I have too many memories of, and I certainly can't pull a fond one up. Mm. So most of the time, if we're talking about this kind of thing, I was sort of focused on secondary, and it was a bit, a bit all over the place. Uh, my so early years were in mixed classes, and then they sort of, um, I don't know if your school ever did this, but the, the, the different sets for each yeah. kind of subject. Yep. So bottom set for English, second top for maths and science. <laughs> wow. So I could, yeah. So that's, and it never really occurred to me as a kid, like quite a lot of my friends were the kids I'd made in them, uh, in them subjects. 
and then I had a different set of people I hung around with English. I actually sat at the back of the classroom next to one boy who I didn't realise was dyslexic until we walked in the same room for extra time for the English exam. Yeah. I know you. <laughs> so I sort of, but the problem with being in the bottom set for English was it was just done on pure grades. So not only you got the neurodiverse people in there, or mainly the only people I was aware of neurodiverse were dyslexics, but you had the kids that didn't want to be there, didn't want to learn. So not only is my learning of that subject behind everybody, I'm also now with a bunch of people who don't necessarily want to learn either. So I could quite happily go and I've got a, a memory of swapping who could get the high score in the class test in science with a girl in my group. We'd swap back and forth all day long and then she'd disappear off to a high level English set while I disappear to the classroom next door with the D set in, not the A set. <laughs> mm. That must have been, sorry to interrupt Matt, but that really hit hit something with me because that must have been, that must have been a really difficult transition because typically when I was at school I mean not that I I mean I got C's in my GCSEs so I would say I was distinctly average in the end but I was in the top set for maths and English I don't think we had sets for science so I was in the top set for maths and English but I would say that I was very much at the bottom of that top set um, especially in maths where it, it just didn't I just got nothing from maths. I was that child that used to sit in maths and look to my friends and say, how is this going to get us a job? Like I was that child. So, but but for you to have been kind of on the, in the top levels for those two subjects and then go the complete extreme to English and people perhaps not really understand the why behind that must have been tough. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you should look back on it in hindsight and I think <laughs> now doing a dyslexia website and podcast you get a lot of time to reflect on the younger me um, who to be honest I wasn't comfortable talking about mm. until at least six seven eight months ago that's how much I, do. wow. like, I don't talk about me I interview other people yeah. <laughs> so it's it is and you know, I sort of touch base with my parents and uh my dad's dyslexic, so that's where it comes from. And it comes down that sort of line of the family. But I was having a conversation with my mum the other day. And she's like, they used to call me lazy. And she wrote a kind of <laughs> scathing letter to the school saying that she believes that if he's up till nine o'clock at night doing his homework, that he should probably stop and go to bed. Like, how much more work do you want out of him? Mm. <laughs> and they had to have her in the school and apologise profusely. Mm. <laughs> But it, it, it was, it was really tricky. And what was interesting, actually, when we hit GCSEs, I think, they, they jumbled the classes up again and put them all in mixed ability classes. So suddenly I was back with my peers from the other classes. This is for English, that is. And you just realise the work that they're doing. I remember actually the same girl that I was swapping science test scores with brings in a like 14 to 15 page essay. And I brought in my four that I've spent hours on handwriting it all. Um, so how have you written so little? So how have you written so much? Mm. I'm trying to be a cocky kid. Mine's more concise and to the point. What have you offered on about? Yeah. <laughs> but not only thinking about that conversation now, not only had she written more than I had, 
more covered the subject better than I had. She'd also spent less time doing it. Mm. And I was one of the unfortunate people who knew I was dyslexic, so was already getting the extra help in lessons, but never, um, I don't know how much you know about the dyslexic profile, so no two dyslexics the same, which I'm sure you mm. found in your, the mm. diverse world you're in as well. Mm. But my particular weak strong point is my sort of ability to write things down, my spelling, my grammar. And there's a, a bit of a blockage between what's in my head and what comes out. So the example I use is having like a massive motorway in your head, but it has to come out on a little A or B road mm. if I need to write it down. I've got better as I've aged. But at that point, you're writing everything by hand, which is just was at that time kryptonite to me. Yeah. So that was always, it was always tricky and it I could never, could never really understand it particularly as I was getting really good grades in the other subjects. Mm. I remember fighting with the school over which subject I needed to drop. They wanted me to drop a GCSE so I could spend more, do an hour a week with an assistive help to get the other ones up. Mm. But the one they wanted me to drop was IT, which was by far my strongest subject. <laughs> I was like, no, no, can we drop this one? No, no, no. So I actually didn't do it. I fought them on it and kept it. So I th- what did I get? I got an A or a B in IT, a B, a double B in science, which is double science. You could only get a B in the group I was in, uh, and then a B in maths, and then a D and an E in English, <laughs> which scraped me into college. <laughs> but I, I think that's fantastic, though. The fact that, well, two things there. One, that you fought them on the IT thing, because for me... That old school mindset of, well, IT is not as important as some of these other mainstream subjects. So actually, we feel like you should probably dump dump that and just do what do the core, which which is what it was back then, wasn't it? Um, do the core because that's what we're measured on. But ultimately, you fought to keep what you were passionate about, which I think is absolutely the the best way forward. Um, but also. To, to have achieved the grades that you did in those other subjects. Um, because I, I think when I was at school, my, my, my very little knowledge of anyone that was in our circles that we knew had dyslexia, and they weren't necessarily my friends, but you knew who they were because it, it had been made public, probably, unfortunately, because someone had been taking the mickey out of them all the time. Um, they would typically pour in everything. Um, and that, and I do, I, I question, and, and you, you raise a really good point earlier about the whole mixed classes. And I want to ask you a question. Do you think that you would have excelled or learnt more within that English setting if you'd been amongst um, a, a variety of students uh, uh, throughout your whole of your secondary school career, uh, career time? That is a tricky question. Um, to be honest, I don't know. It's it is a tricky one to answer, but because the math, science, and the IT were just in mixed class, and you can hear see by the higher grades. I was also quite good at history, but essay based exams ruined my history grade. <laughs> I could tell you what happened in the rise of Adolf Hitler and Germany in the Cold War, because I loved that. It was really interesting watching Bond films and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Tom Clancy was huge at the time, and I was watching the films for that. So it was well into that. just couldn't do the exams. Um, <laughs> so it's tricky to know. 
And it's tricky to know really what, as an adult, I hung on to as being really this horrible thing. We, I am rubbish at not good at sports, whatever is because I felt really weak at that. Or if I kind of think, you know, this sort of the average, isn't it? Like, you ever heard this thing, you were the average of the five people you spend the most time with? Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's the same with, like, learning something, if you're the average of the group in the class, or can be. But then somebody who's a high flyer might have the counter-argument, well, why should I be in class that's pulling me down to them <laughs> to pull to suck the bottom lot up? So I don't know. I mean, I was in a class where the teacher got knocked out once. One guy walked around with his t-shirt off spinning it around and singing a football song so it's a really disruptive environment so i think i would have done better if it wasn't such a disruptive environment mm. where they're being and i think by the time i hit gccs it wasn't in a disruptive environment and i do you know i'm trying <laughs> so being dyslexic i think in pictures so i'm currently sat in my school class in my mind going around trying to pull all the faces back in and i'm trying to think whether some of the people in that lower class were in that class or whether I got shuffled into the higher English class for GCSE purely because I was doing better in the other classes and they wanted mm -hmm. to see. But that's a question for my mum. I'll have to ask her next time I speak. To her. <laughs> you've raised you've raised a good point. And, and I think, I, I guess, let me flip that question then. And if we think about um, children in schools today, do you think that the children that are in the top classes surrounded by people that are as good as them, if not maybe slightly better or just ever so slightly worse, do you think they are lacking a level of education on the world around them and how other people struggle because those people are excluded from those settings? Hmm. I wonder if they're lacking a bit of social intelligence on it more than edgy you know what i mean like the empathy for mm. uh, like like a lot of things in the world if you spend a lot of time with the same type of people you you struggle existentially to understand others don't you and it's it's a, quite a lot of this is going around at the minute isn't it so yes i think there is a bit missing with the social intelligence of mm. you know i either don't know what a dyslexic person is really like and we're all different anyway <laughs> b they don't necessarily see people who struggle um so i think there is that thing of like how can you help the people who are struggling at it or seeing people who really work it's an interesting experience i had at uni I, quite a lot of, i went to uni that had quite a lot of people feed in from a private school and these people are just like you know they're going to go in the oil and gas industry. They're great. They get the high grades and they coast all the way to a third year. I went to uni in Scotland. So it's a four year degree, not a three as it is in England. And how many of them really, really struggled the moment that it got difficult? Well, like I'd been struggling since year one. So I was well in this groove, but <laughs> the, the wheels kind of fell off with, they just didn't know how to cope with it. So someone yeah. got, had to be signed off with anxiety, weight gain, whatever, too much mm. drinking. It's really interesting, and I wonder whether not only the social intelligence of how, hey, there's different people in the world with different learning styles. Actually, if I show this person how to do it in this way, that works for them, or that's interesting. But also mm. that kind of, oh, this person works relentlessly. Maybe I need to learn a bit of that rather than mm. kind of. 
and I could be completely talking out of turn. If you're really good at it, you just kind of it just comes to you. It's a bit like myself will be able to visually think things. <laughs> I'm aware that sometimes I have to catch other people up with that. <laughs> I don't think you are talking out of turn because I I see the I see even at my son's age, nearly ten, in the school system. Every day, I think, you know, the the children in that in that school that are uh, neurodiverse, they they're quite often excluded from the class because the 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 teachers very often don't want the disruption within the class that potentially they cause. And I think that the problem you have is the longer you go on like that, the the less understanding those other children have of of those children, why they do the things they do. And then they continue to be excluded up through secondary school. They then get to the point where they leave school, and their only um, their only experience of of their school years is exclusion. Um, and they then go into the workplace with that still in their minds. Um, it then affects them in the workplace in terms of their confidence and how they present themselves. Um, possibly in terms of their confidence around, should I be honest about my dyslexia in your case or autism in my son's case or whatever, because they haven't built that confidence and they don't, they haven't built that resilience around it by people embracing them through their younger life because they've just felt excluded. In terms of, we know about your um, your working experience initially when you were in your 20s. How do you feel over the last, say, 15 years or so, actually, I'm doing you an injustice there because you're not 40. Um, not yet. You're, you're, you're not there yet. Um, how do you feel since that job? So say over the last 10 years, the the you've been embraced and how it's evolved? So last 10 years, well, so I didn't graduate from uni until 2015. So just to kind of bridge the the two jobs so I got to the point mid-20s it's like I don't want to be a lorry mechanic for the rest of my life I'm looking at people who are 10 20 30 years older than me crawling under lorries and this is not what I want to do so I started looking at other jobs and there was particularly one one designing motorbikes to triumph and another one was for BP I think it was or Castrol basically got to thrash an engine blow it up drain the oil out of it and assess why it gone bang so they can make better oil all of these ones were like, I could do this, could do this, could do this, must have an engineering degree. I don't have one of them. So I'm doing myself an injustice here, but I blinked and started off at uni just studying an engineering degree. Four years later, I come out with a fast track master's degree in engineering. So the boy who's not very confident at school has a master's degree, which is incredible. Of, yeah. And That's incredible. Of, thank you. And uh, there's a lot of self-limiting beliefs that have to be driven through with a steam train to get that to happen. I spent quite a lot of the first year thinking I didn't belong and they're going to work out that I can't do this. And then when I started getting good grades, well, maybe I can. Uh, so that's kind of the uni thing. And then I started working as a professional engineer. So my work environment for the last, since 2015, has been completely different as an office-based worker in a technical creative environment i said i did cut years at siemens on a grad scheme which is more management but i realized design was my thing and got the job at triumph motorcycles that initially kind of tipped me into the idea of it so now i'm using computer aid design in cad so 
And <laughs> unlike my mechanic job, I've got the full suite on a computer that now spell checks for me and doesn't have handwriting because it just is in the right font and can do all that. So attitudes are different. I think they were a little bit more turned on to neurodiversity by that point, probably not as much as it should be. I got better because I had to learn how to write essays and push through I hate writing stuff at university. So Quadlap was done with uh, Dragon, so the uh, speech-to-text software where I'd stand and narrate to the computer for hours on end to write reports. But by my final year, I'd start to transition to doing my sort of hand typing as well as using Dragon because <laughs> Dragon's quite a funny thing and will sometimes do some really interesting words. Um, and it's just a completely different environment. So I did have a particularly tricky first line manager who actually we got on really well until he had to read anything and then he'd red pen it up um which is depressing as i we go again but really i hit the design environment which is what i really wanted to do as an engineer i want to design things i'm kind of in my element then so it's not as admin-y typey based that works for my weak points yes we write reports but there's enough balance and it suits my sort of strong points. I'm quite a visual thinker. Mm. I realised eventually, particularly once I'd launched the website and was talking about the dyslexics, that I'd be in CAD reviews going, well, I think the design should go this direction, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, hang on, can you draw that for us? So I realised I have to mature the design on CAD in 3D on the computer further than I need it for other people to understand it, which I thought was really mm. interesting because it's already in my head. Um, I could also sort of take bits off the bike and move it around in my mind. And, ah, why don't we put stuff there? So I was. it's an environment I really enjoy. And I think, like anything, when you really enjoy it, the kind of harder stuff becomes mm. less of a problem. And I've really not met anybody who's had a sort of problem with it at all mm. as a professional engineer. Mm. Apart from that first line manager who just red penned it up, but talking to all the other, the other colleagues, it's just his mm. style. It's nothing to do with me being a dyslexic person. He wants base. He wanted the reports written the way he wanted them, rather than the way that us as individuals have different mm. writing styles. But I mean, I I always sort of tick the box I was dyslexic, but until I put founder of a website called dyslexia life hacks on my cv it was never as obvious as because <laughs> i used to tick the box yeah. and hr would call me do you need any help no i'm fine um which i regret doing i should have probably yeah. got some software installed on my computer and another thing i did at the beginning of 2021 was i took a program called the davis dyslexia program which is a a way of teaching your brain how to work in the way dyslexics think which really brought my spelling and grip of English language and grammar up to the point where I still put stuff like I put venerable instead of vulnerable in stuff. Mm. And for some reason, I can't spell the word material, which is a problem when you're an engineer and you need to email somebody saying, I want it made out of this. I had a bit of Marshall, Matural, and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> but now I can see well enough that I know it's the wrong word. I just can't quite get it close enough to the right word to autocorrect it but i don't really see any big things i mean the company i work for at the moment is a electric vehicle startup and they even have a neurodiversity inclusion group on their online system that i'm part of that we end up talking about things back and forth wow um 
what what I find incredible is is a how you've you've kind of broken through the the stereotypes you've broken through the challenges you had within schools and in those early careers where the judgment was there because of a lack of education and naivety around around dyslexia in general and what you've actually gone on and achieved if you said to someone i've achieved this they would think you've achieved greatness in the sense that you do exactly what you want to do you went to university and did your degree later in life than a lot of people do it and you did it because you felt you had to to really achieve what you wanted to achieve and 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 so many people don't do that they just sit somewhere where they don't really want to be but they don't have the drive to do anything else and i think not only were you kind of battling the fact that you're constantly trying to overcome the challenge of dyslexia but you've gone out and said I'm not going to just do something I don't want to do if that's what I need to have in my locker to be able to go and achieve what I want to achieve and spend my life doing something I want to do then that's what I'm going to do and a four-year degree is nothing to be sniffed at that's a huge huge commitment um you mentioned earlier that obviously dyslexia much like autism is that the the spectrum if you like is vast and no two dyslexic people are the same and you there's certain things that you struggle with that perhaps another dyslexic person may not so in the modern world where so much is done digitally a dyslexic person potentially like yourself can in general fly under the radar because you've got all the tech to support you what how would someone with perhaps different um, dyslexic challenges uh, cope in that environment are there things that even in the digital world um, a different dyslexic person would still really struggle with and possibly face kind of ridicule and, and judgment yes i think so as you say modern tech for me really helps so i used to have extra stuff on the laptop computer at uni that would allow me to spell check and stuff in a more advanced way at microsoft themselves and other word processes have caught up with that. So like the modern version of Word can actually read stuff out loud to you, which I used to have an extra software for. The, the uh, sort of synonym checker or the homophone, it's actually got a proper homophone checker now with the word with the sentence on it, which is <laughs> amazing, really. So mm. I almost don't have to ask for any extra if I really don't want to, but obviously I wear it on my sleeve now, so it's not a problem. But yeah, definitely, and there's a lot. Um. There is a lot of stuff that is a problem. I, was, I had a really interesting guest on the podcast. He'd done his dyslexia assessment as a teenager, as he went into uni, got all the assistance for uni. And then when he went out into the workforce, he was struggling again. So they, he had quite a sympathetic employer who got him reassessed. And he needed a totally different set of strategies for the workplace versus what he needed for university education. So... That was really interesting to me that actually his kind of strategies, like coping with the stress, um, can throw people off when their job changes or they get promoted into a role, need to do different things. Actually having some extra coaching that tweaks them to that way. Mm. Like, um, so the best kept secret going, the access to work grant, which Mm. any neurodiverse person should apply for. And you, depending on what they recommend, you could get some coaching that way. I think the coaching is something 
I've, I've done a bit, as I mentioned, the Davis to Method, specifically dyslexia. I've done some career coaching uh, with somebody else, really to improve me, my career and sort of grow along. But things like that particularly could trick dyslexic people over any neurodiverse person over when their mm. job changes or, mm. you know, say somebody re resigns above you in the thing and mm. I'm relatively ambitious. So it's like, well, I'm mm. ready to challenge having to go at leadership. Mm. But if you're not, that's not your thing mm. and you get thrust into it and your performance drop, is it because the strategies you used to have for being a dyslexic person in the workforce or a neurodiverse person in general mm. now doesn't fit this new role and mm. you're in a bit of a tailspin with mm. what to do about it. Would you say then that, um, because one of the biggest things we we face with my son, although he academically he's where he needs to be, um, which can't be said for obviously all autistic children. Again, like with yourself, all autistic children are different. Um, but one of the things... His his biggest challenge is his social anxiety, um, and as you've just touched on there, a change in circumstance can cause him a hell of a lot of unrest because he gets so used to a certain way of doing something, and he feels like he's got a support network, and then that all of a sudden changes, and where perhaps a neurotypical person could possibly not all but possibly be agile enough to adapt to that and kind of take that on um, and think, do you know what? It's not ideal, but let's weigh up the, the pros and cons and sleep on it, if you like. Um, Jake can't do that. Would you say that that is a, a major factor with dyslexic people as well because they are very aware of their challenges and then they find themselves in a, in a bubble almost of, of comfort and then something changes and, and they have that same level of anxiety? Uh, I think so. What got me thinking when you were sort of going through your son's experiences, I did change job at the beginning of the year. And now the job I've got has got um, uh, instant messaging app called Telegram. Now, they don't really use emails. They just use Telegram for everything. So you're a member of multiple groups and the thing just ping, ping, pings all day. And I realized by the first two weeks of it, it's like, I can't handle this thing going off in the background. I just can't handle it. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with it. It's constantly going bang. I don't know which bit to go first. What I tend to do as an as a engineer, you know, I'll deal with emails. I'll dive into, if I'm designing something on CAD, sometimes I can just relentlessly work on it for three, four hours in the afternoon. And I'll deal with other emails, but I'll sort of split the day up. But this thing wanting attention all the time just completely threw me off it actually made me a worse engineer for a little while and i had to kind of mute it all off and work out how to live with it and even now i'm finding myself missing things so <laughs> i'll suddenly see an app matt head mentioned where i've clearly not been paying attention to it and i've learned to kind of tune it out and i do think that kind of was bringing some anxiety out oh, my god you know i can't keep up with this this is mm. this is mm driving me mad and the engineering I'm doing is not as good because this thing just goes off in my head all the time mm. and people are chasing me and they want the Zoom call and they want this and like, haven't you seen it on Telegram? No, because this thing goes on all day long. <laughs> like mm. I can't, I want yeah. to batch it, but I can't batch it because that's not how, how it works. They want a bit more attention. So I certainly do think that, that the anxiety could go up and, you know, I'm a fairly... 
I guess <laughs> I've never been dyslexic since I was six. I had one attitude through school, one attitude in my early twenties, then went to uni and had to prove myself wrong with it. Then got got quite far in my engineering career and got jobs that I really enjoyed, but still had a little bit of a thing in. And then launched this website where it's all out in the world. And I have to be honest about it, mm. <laughs> but most people aren't. Uh, mm. And most people, you think if you've been teased about something all your life or, or see it as a deficit, and I like the way the neurodiversity movement is moving away from the deficit thinking, whether it's like dyslexic thinking being a positive thing that LinkedIn now uses, you could have it on your profile, which I have, and things like that, um, and showing dyslexic strengths. I like the idea that actually, hey, you know, well, this is this is good things about being dyslexic where you pretty much have spent most of your school life that you then carry with you as an adult with the deficit. So I do think as things change, if you're somebody who's thinking, oh my God, you know, I'm behind everybody anyway, which nice to think, if stuff changes, you think you're even more behind, you get more anxious about it. But it's hard and it's hard to kind of realise that actually I bring something to this job They've employed me because of my set of skills and I've passed the probation and I've been kept on because I can do this part of the job really well. And actually, you know, some of the strengths mean I can do quite a lot of the job quite well. And I just need to remind myself of this occasionally when it's been a bad day. I I think um, and uh, for somehow we've we've literally gone through almost an hour in the blink of an eye, Matt. Um, but I, I think what you've achieved, and just in the short time that we've been speaking, it, it's been hugely inspirational to me because I, I look at my son and I, I one of the reasons I started the business, if I'm honest as a father, was because I worry about the, the future of employment and how neurodiverse people will be viewed and will they be embraced to the level that they need to be. Um, I think what you've proved today is that with the right amount of application and and a and a positive mindset around around you and what you can deliver, regardless of what the label says, um, and when you've had a label from six, or, or in my son's case from four, it, it it has a habit of following you if you allow it to. Um, but what you've achieved, um, I think, is is absolutely remarkable, and it and it and it is a message to anyone on the spectrum in any way that you can achieve exactly what you want to achieve if you have that a little bit of self-belief and I think if you surround yourself with people that that perhaps build you up um, as opposed to, to bringing you down and I think we could probably go on and talk about how we could change the school system and rewrite the rule book on leadership and all the rest of it probably till the early hours of tomorrow but um, uh, Matt uh, honestly it's been an absolute pleasure it really has having you on. Thank you very much for, for sharing that story with us today. I'm so glad that you mentioned earlier that you've only been talking about it really publicly for six months or so. Um, I'm so glad that you did because I think by doing that, you will help so many other people that are feeling the pressures of dyslexia actually come out of themselves and go, do you know what? This guy's right. I'm, I can actually real, offer real value here. Um, so yeah, it's been a real pleasure, Matt. Well, thank you. I'm going to do the, the dyslexic person thing and not take the compliment very well, but thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>